Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey Is. Hi Em. I just want to start this entire thing out by kind of managing expectations. And I want to get this out to you and then also to everyone listening. You guys, these were just three kind of subpar episodes this week, no? It's rare that you have all the filler episodes align at the same time. Like usually if one is a filler, another is a bombshell. Like we just happened to reach a point where they all aligned and you guys are watching the same episodes as us. I have a smile on my face. I shed a tear. I love every second of it. But at the end of the day, not that much happened. And that's okay. (laughs) Well, it's kind of like, you know how sometimes when we're classifying housewives, we say housewives that we would love to be friends with and then housewives we love watching. You know how we do that? Yeah, of course. So the way that I view episodes are like episodes that I love to just watch and then episodes that are built to be recapped on a podcast. And could watch all of these happily. But when I think about actually breaking it down, I'm like, there's not that much to analyze here. You know what? That's okay. Because everyone who is listening watched the exact same episodes as us, probably had similar thoughts. And we're just going to talk about everything that there is to talk about and hope for the best next week. I mean, we have some amazing reunions coming up. We have new shows. Like This is just the rest that we need before the storm. Hot take, the best part of this entire week was the preview for the Summer House reunion. And I say that because I missed the Potomac preview that happened during Atlanta. The Summer House reunion also, I hadn't seen already online. Like Atlanta, when it came on the next week's part, I'd already seen the teaser, but Summer House I hadn't seen yet. So that was kind of exciting, especially when you're coming right off the episode into seeing them in this like glam reunion setting is very fun. Yeah. And also just seeing how the gloves are kind of off. You know, they're not living together. They don't have to try to maintain a sense of peace. Right. That is so true. That is a huge difference for Summer House. That's the best part of it, which we don't really get on other shows, that same contrast. No, because they're just living their lives. Whereas Summer House, there's a clear difference of the way they act in the house versus how they act out. I said it last week and I'm going to say it again. This is one of those weeks where I am so genuinely grateful to be doing a podcast with my best friend because we could talk about this shit forever. We could talk about nothing forever. I know it's like we literally are going to probably speak for over an hour about nothing. And that's honestly the best job I could ever ask for. I know. You want to start out with Jersey? Yeah, let's start out with Jersey. Okay. So obviously the first real event here is on Emily's yacht discussing Margaret's book. And one quick thing that I just want to mention before we get into the Margaret and Jennifer thing, 
And I wonder if other people caught on to this. When they're kind of teasing Teresa about her new relationship, Margaret makes the point of saying that her and Jackie asked Melissa and that Melissa kept the secret really well. And I felt that that was such a nice thing to do and so unnecessary. That was like a very level up, mature friend moment of Margaret. She recognizes like the intricacies of why that, why her saying that would mean so much to Teresa and how Teresa processes things is saying, oh, Marge made a specific point. It really nailed it in my head that Melissa said nothing. Even to her really close friends at a separate lunch, she still had your back. And I think if Melissa had been there and certainly watching this back, she will feel really grateful that Marge kind of gave her that gold star to Teresa and made sure that she was aware of that point. And I really do think the biggest testament to your friendship with someone or one of the biggest is how they operate when you're not there. You know, she wasn't doing it to get an immediate reaction out of Melissa. Melissa wasn't going to know about that for a while, but she still said it. So I just enjoyed that. You're so right. How easy it could have been if Melissa was sitting there to say, see, Melissa, you know, I'm really sticking up for you. But you're right. She wasn't even there. It was just Margaret wants them to have a a special bond and a relationship because it benefits the whole group and each other and their family. Yeah. I also get why Teresa doesn't want to be so forthcoming with the relationship. And I know in a lot of ways it may feel hypocritical because she's being so kind of out there about it without actually saying it. But that's a very normal thing to do when you enter a relatively new relationship. You almost don't want to jinx it until you know. You know, you don't want to look like a fool. Not that there's anything to feel embarrassed about, but you know. Especially given what she went through with Joe Giudice, their divorce was so public, their marriage was so public, things he said about her on camera. Like she was ridiculed for years, ever since she's been on the show about her relationship. Everything is so public. It was smart of her, but it's also funny to watch back now because she is so public with her boyfriend now on social media and everything to think that there was a time that she was keeping it quiet. Yeah, no, that's exactly how I felt. And I, think that when Jackie went to Melissa's house and they were kind of talking about it, I think Melissa's correct in saying that for probably somewhere around 10 years, Teresa hasn't actually been happy. And so it's so much less about who she's with and so much more about just what it symbolizes for her in terms of a new chapter. Yeah. I think Teresa hasn't been happy for 10 years. Absolutely. But I don't think she knew how unhappy. She didn't know anything else. Like She didn't know otherwise. For a long time, especially watching it back now, I see like, I think that was her idea of a happy life and marriage. And now being on the other side and seeing how much more there is for her out there, being a businesswoman, what kind of relationship she could be in, it is making her really want to make the most of her time now. Yeah. But also when you go into a marriage with the very concrete idea that you will not get divorced because that is not what you know, people you know do. That is not how you were raised. And she really went into that. So of course, if that's your mindset, you're going to try to mask your unhappiness because I could imagine her thinking, what's the point of even acknowledging the unhappiness if I'm not going to do anything about it? So I think it was only once she realized that there was a way out and she could carve her own way out that she could then maybe be honest about what she was going through. It's kind of like a self-preservation tactic. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so when Margaret reads this chapter of the book, which I'm glad she did it for like multiple reasons. I'm glad she did it because I think it's an important story to be told. 
for her sake, business-wise, I'm glad she did it because I think that it was an intriguing chapter that hopefully will entice people to want to buy it. And third of all, not really as a fuck you to Jennifer, but more so to get Jennifer to understand using such an amount of imagery was just good moves all around. I really liked this moment. I'm glad she did it. I think she felt really proud of telling the story because I think she knows it will resonate with so many people and also puts a message out there. And because it really changed the narrative for Jennifer. Yeah. And you listen, I don't know. People may disagree, but I'm kind of coming around on Jennifer. Yeah. She fucked up in Lake George. She apologized. She was very vocal about apologizing. Once Margaret finally allowed her to, she said, I'm really sorry. And I think that it was genuine. I think that Jennifer is who she is. She's not perfect. She's going to fuck up at times. And yes, she does have moments where she's a little bit tone deaf and she could probably work on those things. But so does everybody. Everybody has their shit. I didn't find her in this scene to be offensive. Did you? No. In this scene, I think she was beginning to understand it better. I think Margaret just has an overall problem with Jennifer's view on life. Like I, I don't know how else to describe it. I think she just doesn't see things the way Jennifer does. And I also think that us seeing such an intimate look now into Jennifer's family and her home life and how much she's going through and kind of her empathy and softness that she gives to her parents has made me really see her differently, which is a good thing for her on the show. And also it we don't get to see all sides of all people. And this is really letting us see that other side, not just Jennifer either drunk at a party or fighting with somebody there people are so layered and we kind of are getting that with her yeah and i appreciated her kind of opening up to the group about what she's going through at home i know that that was her entrance point into explaining that she wanted to have this mom's lunch which we'll talk about in a minute but you know she's not required to tell anyone that but it does give a little bit more insight it's not an excuse for what she said to margaret but that was just a lack of understanding and we were hard on her at the time she absolutely fucked up but she apologized like you know nobody's perfect right we have to be able to let people learn. And I think this was a learning moment for Jennifer. Yeah. Margaret wanted to kind of make her feel bad about it one last time. And then she finally allowed them to move on, which I was really happy about because this was not a conversation that needed to continually drag on only because Jennifer was so happy and willing to acknowledge and apologize for it. Right. Which is pretty much the ideal situation. Did Margaret ever apologize to Jennifer about the meal ticket comment? No. That was wrong. It was wrong. It was wrong. It was all said in the heat of the moment. I think this setup wasn't the right time or place to rehash that entire conversation. Clearly, it was brought up on Jennifer's end because of what Marge was reading from the book. I feel like it'll come up again. If not at a different like situation, definitely at the reunion. Yeah. This is a little bit out of order, but just going off of the book, I think this should be the time when we mention it regarding Margaret and her mom's conversation at the house. Mm-hmm. I felt really grateful that they allowed this to be filmed because her mom being able to read that is an experience she would have never had in any other medium because there's no world in which Margaret would have sat her down and told her all of the things that she put in that book. And so for her to write this book while her mom was still alive and for them to be able to have this really deep conversation and then on top of it for it to be filmed. Do you know how grateful she's going to be that she was able to kind of relive some of those hard years that maybe her mom didn't know what she was going through at the time? That's really, really a unique experience. 
I would love to do a deep dive or like some kind of episode about celebrities or housewives writing their memoirs and how that affects them as people and also what kind of things that brings up with their family. Because in my rewatching of Beverly Hills, I'm at the point when Erica Jane is writing a memoir, which I think she's going to need to write a second one at this point. But she's like calling her mom and they're opening up about her birth father who she didn't know. And all of these things are coming up as she's really getting into the core of her life. Think about Kris Jenner writing her memoir, how many issues that brought up with her family, emotions that they had kind of been pushing down for years and stories, things they didn't know about. Like That is really why writing a memoir is way more than just getting a book deal. It is like a defining moment in your life and also can enhance or change or make you look at relationships really differently. Of course, especially because most of these people I think that we're talking about are not necessarily the most emotionally in touch. And so I recognize, obviously, they're not the ones actually writing it, but they do have to tell the information to somebody. And so that requires them to go deeper than they probably ever would in their daily lives because it's tied to a monetary value. It's actually probably the most efficient form of therapy they have. And they're doing it with the idea in mind that they want to sell books. So the more details, the more stories, the more juicy information that they can give is just going to help the book sales. So they're digging deep and kind of putting it all out there. No more skeletons in the closet to everybody. And that you're right. It is such a form of therapy. Yeah. And it's freeing. Yep. Before we get into Jennifer's lunch, I I don't know. I kind of have mixed feelings on this whole Melissa Antonia thing because obviously on one hand, these conversations are so important. And of course, mothers should be having them with their daughters. But I guess I haven't gotten confirmation from Melissa that Antonia is down for this conversation to be filmed. And it makes me a little bit uneasy that she's kind of like using this as a storyline without outwardly saying, and I guess she maybe couldn't because it's a fourth wall break, that Antonia is okay with it. Because from what we saw, Antonia is not that okay with it. And like, That just doesn't sit right with me. No kid should be embarrassed like that on national television. No, this like really pissed me off. Right? This was a new low for Melissa. I I get you really have to stay relevant. And I know that a lot of people criticize her for that all the time. She doesn't have a storyline. She just does things to stay relevant, whatever. I really like Melissa. I think she's great. I think Joe Gorga is an amazing TV character. And The way that they're interwoven with Teresa is just, you can't replicate that. But Melissa's sinking to the level to embarrassing her daughter so badly, where she would have probably been embarrassed by this conversation already with her mom. I get it. It's like, you know, it's a weird teenager thing. But to do it with cameras around, a camera crew around, and Antonia literally has to hide in the bathroom, That and she keeps going, it's like, oh, my God, I just, it was, it was annoying me so much. I almost couldn't watch it. You know what it kind of reminded me of, and this feels like I'm really escalating it. So I don't mean for that to be the case, but I just want to draw on something to see if this resonates with you or anybody listening, or if I'm just completely off base here. But a few episodes ago, when we were talking about how Joe Gorga's issues with Melissa are a little bit twofold, because one of them is just completely like a misogynistic traditionalist situation that we have no patience for. But the second one is when he made the comment about the fame maybe getting to her a little bit, which again, we couldn't really differentiate between the two if they were more interwoven. But let's just say that the fame one stood on its own. 
This to me is a prime example of that. And I'm a really big Melissa fan, but it just felt so insincere and so clearly like a self-benefiting thing. And I just, when it's your kid, it's just not cool. It's just not cool. And it makes me think she's prioritizing what they're filming, what could be on the show, like what's interesting going on in her life over, is her daughter going to be pissed at her? I, I don't know how she weighs the benefits of that, of being like, oh, Antonia will just get over it. It's not that big of a deal. Like, I just don't know what the conversation is. It doesn't feel like something that Antonia agreed to. She barely seems like she wants to be on camera at all, let alone talking about that. And Melissa talking about her boobs, like that is so, I literally have been there. I know what that feels like for anyone to do that. And like to think that it could be on camera. No, I just, I can't, I can't. It was so unfair. Also, you're still just learning about your body at that age. Like, take yourself back to being 15, 16 years old. You are so uncomfortable in your skin just because your body is going through changes. And so, like, I don't know. I mean, I would love to choose to believe that they cleared this ahead of time and Antonia was down for it. But based on the way that she reacted, I just don't foresee that being the case. And, like, I don't know. I'm not a mom, but as a kid, I did, would not feel comfortable with that. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I'm sure other people felt the same way. No, they had. I think they, I think a lot of people felt the same way. Do you think I'm totally wrong for this? I think Envy looks cute. Do you not? Yeah, I can. I know like 40 stores that sell the exact same thing, but I think it's a very cute project for her. And I would love to be able to just go in and pick what I wanted. Right, but I'm not even talking about the clothes. Like the clothes are fine. I'm saying I think the actual shop looks cute. I like how they have that little refrigerator. I like the setup. It's small, but it, I'm just saying it looks like a sweet store to go into. We should go. It's in Montclair. It's close to me. Okay, we'll go. Okay, so this Turkish tea at Jennifer's, before we get into them being there, I really loved how they were filming the cooking process because you could see her mom take such pride in her presentation and it was one of the few things that I've seen throughout the season that really brings her mom a sense of joy. And so I loved watching that. Yeah. I was thinking, I loved how Jennifer was saying, I felt like my mom needed this kind of ego boost and she wasn't making it like, mom, I want you to be happier. I'm throwing this event so that you'll feel better, like putting pressure on that. But she knew if I have my mom cook and everyone's complimenting her spread and she gets to be around all these fun women that really enjoy her company that will make her feel better in kind of a sneaky way, which was just like the perfect, I think, thing that her mom needed in this moment. Yes, it absolutely was. And I know we'll talk about the Teresa thing. I just forgot to say this. I so understand why Jennifer did this. And it was such a beautiful gesture. And I really, really get it. And like, of course, she should have never not done it just because Teresa doesn't have a mom. Like, I so understand. But and again, maybe I'm just viewing this through my lens of having like lost my mom. I do think it's the kind of thing where if you were going to present the group with this, she probably should have pulled Teresa to the side ahead of time and just given her a heads up that she was going to present this idea to the group because I don't know, it just put Teresa in a little bit of an uncomfortable position to be kind of blindsided with that. Nothing wrong with saying it in front of her. You don't need to protect Teresa in that way. But don't you think it was the kind of thing you just like pull your friend aside and say, by the way, I'm going to tell everyone about this mom's lunch. I know that may be hard for you to hear. So I just wanted to tell you one-on-one -on -one first. Like that doesn't to me come across as like babying her. I just think that's the kind thing to do. Yeah. So that she wasn't blindsided when she made that announcement and then had to kind of say quietly like, well, I don't have my mom. It should have been something she knew ahead of time. You're right. There was just there was just a better way to go about this. 
Right. Like there's nothing wrong with doing it. I would never tell my friends don't have an event with inviting your moms. Of course, celebrate your moms. Like I'm, I'm not bitter about it. It's just, I would have appreciated, like maybe tell me first, but you know, cause then. Right. And then everyone like looks at her to see what she's going to, how she's reacting. Right. Because basically it then puts pressure on her to react unemotionally to not make it about her. You know what I mean? If mm-hmm. Jennifer had explained, this is about my mom and I want to tell you this, Teresa would have, wouldn't have had to react in the moment. I don't know. I could have just been looking too much into it, but I still think that that's what you do in that situation. Yeah, I do too. That's the thing about Jennifer though. Like I really am growing to like her, but I just noticed there's these little nuanced things where she lacks graciousness at times. I know. And she doesn't do it with bad intentions. It's literally just an oversight. Like she just doesn't think about it. She has such good intentions and she wants Teresa to feel comfortable and she wants everyone to have a good time. She's doing such a nice thing for her mom, but she just like, she doesn't put it all together, which is okay. We're getting closer. Just for a moment of levity before we talk about Teresa, when Teresa did first get there and Jennifer makes the comment about wine and she says, you know, I'm not that big of a drinker. You see Teresa look like a deer in headlights. And of course the producers flash back to her at Teresa's pool party, but it was such a funny little moment where Teresa didn't want to like call her out too much, but you could see she's thinking like, is this the same girl? She's like, you're not a big drinker. And Jennifer's like, well, like usually during the day. And she's like, oh, okay. It was just, I love things like that. So funny. Just a, like a laugh out loud kind of moment. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, I was hysterical watching this, but that's just because I could personally relate to Teresa. I'm sure other people were as well. Like, it's just a hard thing. Yeah. Sucks losing your mom. There's nothing to say about it. And I so felt for her. I felt for her when she said she couldn't sleep the night before because she felt a sense of anxiousness and then she feels bad because she doesn't want to make it about her. And like, like I said, everybody should do these beautiful events with their moms. But of course, it's like a dagger in the heart. I was proud of her for how long she stayed and how she handled herself. Just like, you know, she was just so emotional. I think she sometimes is afraid to show her emotion and not when it comes to her mom. They did such a beautiful flashback in the show. And also it was nice to have Melissa and her mom there who were actual family. Mm -hmm. I think that was a little bit of a comfort that if maybe if they weren't there, she wouldn't have gone at all. Well, yeah, and also the fact that most of the women there and their moms knew Teresa's mom. And so that's beautiful because you feel like you're helping to keep her memory alive even more, right? In addition yeah. to the fact that all the viewers knew her. Yeah. Yeah. I just really understood and related to that. And I mean, I was hysterical. So anybody listening, if you also have lost a parent and that scene was hard for you, like you are definitely not alone. Don't feel bad about crying about it. And you connect with that person when you're thinking about them because it's impossible to watch that and not think about your loved one that passed away. And like, that's a form of grieving. So any emotions that come to you, just let it happen. Exactly. Yeah. Obviously I could go on about that forever. But um, this was really sweet when Dolores ended up telling Frankie about her biopsy because it was so minor, but I really think that Dolores and Frank did such a beautiful job raising their children. Like, they seem to just have such a respect for their parents. They really do. And I loved when she was like, oh, it's girl stuff. Like I have to tell you. And he's like, no, that's like health. That's not just girl stuff. That's something that a lot of people, even probably husbands and men out there and, and women needed to hear like that you shouldn't be afraid to say something or ask for help or just share what you're going through, which I think Dolores has a really big problem kind of hard time expressing what she's going through or opening up about things and letting people help her. 
Right. And especially when it comes to her kids, because she had said when Frank even mentioned bringing it up to the kids, she was like, absolutely not. So I think that what Frankie didn't realize in the moment, probably consciously, is how big of a deal it was for Dolores to even tell him that because she kind of did it relatively nonchalantly. And so the way that he received that news, I think is really impactful because if it was a hysterical response or it made her feel bad or made her feel like she worried him, maybe that would make her more hesitant in the future. So he didn't even realize how the way that he calmly and like so kindly and compassionately handled that probably will then be so helpful for her in in later situations. Yeah. Cause she knows now how he'll take things and can be there for her. Yeah, of course. It's a scary thing. Yeah. Anything else from this episode you want to mention? No, it was a good week. What is next week? I don't even remember what the preview Oh, said. They're going to Glenmere. Oh, where Teresa had her date. Okay, yeah. let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, it'll be beautiful. I don't know. I like this one, and <laughs> that's all she wrote, folks. Let's go to Atlanta. Let's take it to Atlanta. So Mother's Day is coming up, and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, and it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen. And every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, let's get into this week's Atlanta because I feel like so much happened, but also nothing at all. That's exactly how I felt. I mean, a lot happened in the last kind of five minutes. And then here's something that I'm realizing, like as much as I love on a personal level, everybody getting along, this is across all franchises, across all shows. It's just so true that the characters that create the most drama just have such a place in your heart because you just know that when they're on the screen, shit's going to go down. You're so right. And I saw a bunch of people complaining about Drew and writing how she was so messy, especially with this whole secret Santa situation, white elephant game and the gifts that she brought. But without people like her stirring the pot, creating the drama, making things messy, like what do we have? A bunch of women sitting around talking about their kids and their lives and their families. And what fun is that? Yeah, that's why I didn't mind that. It's funny that your mind went to Drew because in this particular situation, I was talking about Toya, who I know has been kind of deemed the villain, and I get it. Like, no, I like love watching Toya. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's literally the Ramona Singer effect. Would yeah, I, yeah. Close friends with her? Probably not. Do I trust her? Probably not. Do I really want her to continue to be on Housewives of Atlanta? Absolutely. 
It's almost like what we were saying, I think, about Teresa. Yeah, it was about Teresa, that tweet that's like, I never agree with anything she does, but I fucking love her. That's how I feel about Toya. And kind of Drew. I, I usually have been agreeing with Drew, but this episode I was not on her page, but I still loved every minute of it. Oh my God. I have to tell you what I just saw before we started recording. What? Fallon, you know, whose house we were just at, the Halloween party, her and her husband are getting a divorce. <gasps> no. Yes. Did they say why? Where'd you see this? Hold on. I will pull it up right now. I just thought that was really interesting timing. And I I don't know, maybe, like, was she supposed to be on the season more? Maybe she could be a housewife. I don't know. Here, she put up a statement that says, after two years of marriage and five years of friendship, Simon and I have made the difficult decision to go our separate ways. We are deeply thankful for the impact we've made in each other's lives, as well as the bonds formed with each other's children. This is a mutual decision that was not made lightly, and despite our current willingness to be transparent, we only ask for our friends and supporters to be respectful of our privacy as our family gets through this very difficult period. I would like to say thank you to all of my supporters who have shown a great deal of love for our family. You all do not go unnoticed. Hmm. I mean, wow. I'm very curious to see what Toy has to say about that now. Yeah, same. I don't know. I don't think Fallon comes through neither, but I'm sure she'll make a comment. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I typically love Drew, but last episode and this episode, she kind of lost me. Not anything to do with her son, but I'm talking about in terms of the prophet because we'll get into this later on, but it was like she so badly wanted people to understand where her frustration was coming from and not one single person was on her side because it <laughs> came across as so misplaced and misogynistic. She wanted everyone to understand so badly. like She was literally begging everyone to understand and no one could understand. Let's get through everything first and then we have to get to the white elephant because that was the hot mess that I loved. So the kind of first non-dramatic, like more emotional thing here was, of course, Josiah meeting his biological father. And the first thing that comes to my mind is kind of similar to the Melissa conversation. Like, I know Josiah is a lot younger. He's only nine years old. But do you think he approved this being filmed? I would think that that would be some sort of conversation. I was really kind of surprised that the biological father was on camera. I was expecting that once he got there, there wouldn't really be cameras there, but it felt like a really intimate moment to be filming almost for one of the first times or a very rare time where I was like, I don't feel like I should be here. Listen, Drew's a really, really good mom. I imagine that she had that conversation, but you're right. I felt like, am I allowed to be here? You know, I don't know. I just felt for him. Like it was visibly uncomfortable. He clearly didn't necessarily know how to handle it. He's nine years old. And I think something that Drew and Ralph did really well, because I don't think you know how to handle the situation until you're in it. Like I would never critique anyone's decision or you know, parenting in this moment. But did you notice at the end when the biological father said, I love you, and Josiah didn't say it back because I don't think in this moment he loves him. Ralph and Drew didn't say to him, say it back, say it back, tell him you love him. And I think that was really important because they are allowing him to feel this out at the pace that he needs. And I feel like that's just something that he will appreciate as he gets older. Don't you feel that way? Yeah. And when they knew that Josiah maybe needed a minute of relief to go up and get a snack, and that kind of gave Drew the opportunity to speak alone with him, they just handled it. It could have gone so much worse. And I do think cameras watching is so much pressure on an already stressful situation. And they did 
a, a really good job. All things considered, I think they did the best job they could. Yeah. Kenya and her therapist. Well, where do we even begin? I mean, Mark is just such a fucking asshole. And- I hate him so much. Like, anytime Kenya even says that she's entertaining me, maybe we'll see what happens. I, I like, I just, I don't know what to do with myself. I know. And like, I get it, right? Like, if you're somebody's friend, which obviously we're not Kenya's friend, but if you're trying to support her, you can't get frustrated by that because you have to recognize that, like, he's so manipulative, he's so abusive, and you have to try to keep encouraging her to finally break the cycle. But it is frustrating as a viewer just because even if you don't like Ken, you don't want her to be traumatized by this man. And he continually weasels his way in, allows her a moment of comfort and peace, and then just rips it from her. And he is just an absolute asshole. Nothing can change my mind. I- I'm going to put him right there with Michael Darby. And you know what that spot makes you? <laughs> like That's when you know. Number one asshole. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, I just the blocking her and her having to go Brooklyn has her own phone to communicate and her having to text him through that like it's just so fucked up wait they so casually had on the screen Brooklyn's phone which like I understand I I guess why that makes sense but (laughs) I had to remind myself she's one yeah like (laughs) I'm imagining Brooklyn like scrolling TikTok and Kenya being like I need to borrow your phone for a second that's what I when she said like I have to go get Brooklyn's phone I thought I misheard her and then it comes down and right on the screen it says Brooklyn's phone <laughs> which I get it I mean maybe that's the thing it was just so funny how they just casually slid I know in. I know like she didn't say like Brooklyn has a phone you know it was just like oh yeah of course she has a phone right and then Mar- Mark sees like Brooklyn that's what I'm wondering like does he have it in his phone as Brooklyn and his Brooklyn text Kenya's like why am I blocked why are you answering me <laughs> Franklin, how'd you learn? (laughs) (laughs) That's like kind of like when dog accounts like will DM or like reply to a story like, oh my god, you look amazing. It's like, thanks, Baxter. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Clifford. (laughs) What's what's his name? Oh, Doug the Pug. (laughs) Yeah. Dog with a vlog. (laughs) Okay, keep going. (laughs) Let's show your dog now. (laughs) don't make me keep going because i will flex (laughs) okay let's get into this motherfucking white elephant party poor little cynthia poor cynthia you're so right like this woman and again does she bring all the drama no but is she a sweetheart with a really kind heart yes and she has this house on the hill she really tries to go all out and do it in her own way maybe not how the other woman would have done it but it's very heartfelt and warm and Portia cannot be on time to these things to save her life. And I understand in this moment why Cynthia was upset. I don't think it was an overreaction. I don't either. And she comes in full glam. You know she's just taking her time. It's annoying when it's repeated like that. But Portia is like a very fun part of the party, so she's worth the wait. I just feel bad for Cynthia because they were fighting so much. You know that she told everyone to dress in like sparkly holiday outfits. Everyone spent, or most people spent, $1,000 on gifts. And then when the things kept like coming up, like the llamas, and then the end, the carolers are there and they're all just like so miserable, but you could just see Cynthia put so much time and energy into the food and the party and nobody was like taking advantage of it and was literally ending up throwing shit around. I felt so sad for little Cynthia. 
Well, also because for me, I'm thinking about how much the lack of food on the South Carolina trip was a plot point. And so for a second, I was like, before we get into all the drama, can we just take a moment to the same shit we gave Kenya, meaning like the group? Can we give that same praise to Cynthia just because I felt like she needed it? Right. Like you're going to shit on Kenya for the lack of food. Let's give Cynthia a round of applause for these beautiful platters that Portia ends up taking a plate home for her mom. Right. That's how you knew it was good. Yeah. That's the best, I will say, because every time you go somewhere, most of the time, they'll say to you like, oh, do you want to take some home? And a lot of the time you say no. You know the food is really good when you voluntarily want to take home leftovers for somebody at your house because it's kind of a bitch to have in your car. It's either the food is so exceptional or you're close enough with the host. Yes. And when the two combined, game over. Game fucking over. That like when is- I left your house after Shiva, oh, oh. my God. <laughs> <laughs> you left with enough rugla for your whole family. Julie and I had bagels for the next four weeks. Oh my God. I've never seen that much food in my life. <laughs> okay. So can we just start out with the gifts? Yeah. A $1,000 budget is like fun and some of them were amazing and some of them not so much. Here's the thing about it though. I – Maybe I'm just naive, but I wasn't really familiar with how this white elephant thing works. I know a lot of people do that. Is it, is it just because I'm Jewish? or maybe I don't know. I'm very familiar with it. But I think the thing is with a white elephant, everyone has some difference of rule. But this seemed like pretty standard white elephant. Maybe you just like opted out of that a couple times. And I just feel like I would be really pissed if I put in the thought – and the time to get a really nice gift. And then I get there and somebody wants to give me Drew's bullshit gift. I don't think they were overreacting. I'm sorry. That was bullshit. I'm just going to say, I don't toot my own horn often, but I will say gift giving happens to be probably my best like quality. I'm like an amazing gift giver. I think you can attest to that. So even since I was younger, middle school, we would do fucking grab bag, secret Santa, my gift was always thoughtful and so nice. And whoever I picked it for was something really creative for them. And I always ended up with something like really generic, like a box of candy or something. So then to amplify it on this scale of $1,000, to spend $1,000 and some of them spent more than that, and then to not get something in return that either wasn't worth the same amount of money or was really like not up to their standards is like, way more disappointing. Well, yeah. And because the other side to that is it's one thing if you know for a fact it's going to land in the hands of somebody that you really love. So, you know, if Kenya knew that she was giving it to Candy or something like that, but you're doing basically a thousand dollars blindly because it could go to your worst enemy. And that is what happened with Kenya and Drew. And there was this whole discourse on Twitter because, of course, nobody believed it. Everybody was like, so this just so happened to be what happened. And they all stood true, and who the fuck knows, but they all stood true in saying, no, this is actually how it ended up. And it really did turn out that Kenya just got Drew's gift organically. Yeah, I think Gibson tweeted, like, so they just happened to get in this order, and Toya just happened to walk in right after that. And Candy was like, I know it sounds staged, but this is actually how it happened. White Elephant only works if you really trust all of the people who are participating, that you all want to get the best gift possible for each other and that you want to bring the gift that wants to be stolen. Like that's the only way it worked. And with these women, it was never going to happen like that. 
Well, no, because there was a little bit of spite involved. Right. Drew somehow knew that it was going to end up in Kenya's hands, or maybe she manifested it, and that's how it happened. Oh, and- yeah, maybe she just manifested it. and that's what went down and then also i mean let's just let's just get into toya yes yeah well do we want to get into drew's gift first well we all know what happened it was such bullshit what i mean it was that fucking wig that she said my wig that kenny is obsessed with a hundred dollar donation to the humane society which was i guess some sort of allusion to the pet comment in the dog carrier and a cassette tape that she puts into the old school stereo and plays and it's some recording of profit lot basically saying it's danny the assistant asking what's the relationship with toya and profit lot says do i like her i really like her she's an awesome person i met my three-year-old's mom when i was already married this is the definition of not chill you know It's bad when Portia, who has been pretty much a ride or die for Drew, that's an intense term, but she's been very much on her side, and we know she's not a fan of Kenya. We know that she's not on the best terms with Toya. For Portia to be this turned off by Drew doing this really spoke volumes. And up until this point, and up until maybe last episode, I really was on Drew's side. This was not only royally fucked up, like aside from the morality of it all, it was just so fucking weird, wasn't it? It was really weird, and- she now has like discredited herself for nothing. She put in all this time and seemingly effort to be so petty and try and prove a point that at the end, not only did she not prove the point, no one gave a shit. So like she now, people have this negative view of like Drew is, you know, being a narc and she pulled this whole stint at Cynthia's party of someone who she really respects. And then- she doesn't even get out of it what she really wanted. Like, this was just, it was just a fail. What I think happened here, and I would love to talk to her to kind of find out the thought process, was this is the only part of it that really is confusing to me. Like, of course, I don't understand why she was so upset about that, but I'm not even going to focus on that. We talked about that last week. What I am struggling with is. What part of the situation did she think the women would care about as much as she does? Like, they don't have any affiliation to Profit Lot. They have never met the guy. They didn't know anything about this baby blessing situation until like a few days ago. And it's not directly impacting her in the way where they would feel protective over Drew. If anything, these women, specifically Candy, is such like, a women's champion and would look at the situation and automatically recognize the power dynamic. And if this is happening, it's on Profit Lot's fault, not Toya praying. So what's confusing to me about Drew, aside from why she's so upset, is where where did she think the intensity of the other women's emotions was going to come from? They have nothing to do with this. It's one thing when you have something going on in your own life that's really intense and your friends care about you, so they therefore care about the situation because they want to help you and feel empathetic to you. The other women cannot, for the life of them, even figure out why Drew cares. So then why the fuck would they care? It's like, literally, there were crickets. Like, Drew's playing that being like, see, see, and everyone's like, what? Right. She's she's explaining this with such a lack of context because the context doesn't matter since she's objectively i think wrong yeah the whole situation is very bizarre and there's just some underlying hatred between toya and drew that has been 
brewing and come to the surface throughout the whole season at different points. And there is some weird entanglement with Drew and Prophet Lot. Not not that I think anything happens with them, but just like with their families, there's got to be something more to the the story here, don't you think? First of all, when you said entanglement, I immediately took myself back to Jada and Will at the red table. That I mean, just- they like have a copyright on that word now, I think. Yeah, wow. But yes, I definitely think something more is going on. And I think to your point earlier about how it just really discredited Drew for no reason, that's what I keep saying. It's a damn shame because she had a pretty, when I say good season, I I think a pretty likable season. And also, I just want to make the point of saying, I get why she doesn't like Toya. Go back to the way Toya was towards her in South Carolina, some of the stuff that she said towards her marriage and some of the way that she maybe spoke to her. I get it. I very much understand that. But she would have had a much stronger case if she just went for Toya based on solely things that Toya has done within the group. Like, even though it wasn't necessarily Drew's battle to fight, if Drew wanted to bring up Toya at Fallon's, the group could have rallied behind that a little bit harder than this random prophet that they don't even know. Right. And she's also keeps coming at it from the angle of like, and now I have to cancel my baby blessing. And everyone's like, but why do you have to cancel the baby blessing? Like, that is the only connection that she's giving to why it matters that she's so mad at Toya when, like, I don't know. It's just, it's too insignificant for anyone to even really care. I understand Drew's feelings are valid. If she feels like something is going on between them she doesn't like, but he is equally responsible as Toya. And if their relationship is the way that she's making it seem that he's like a part of their family, she needs to direct her anger to him. He is the one who was physically supposed to do that. Toya is a separated, almost single woman. She can do whatever she wants. Yes. It was like the blame was so misplaced. And what I think is concerning to me, like this is really for me what drew the line in the sand of thinking that Drew is so the one that is like, really level-headed in these types of situations and would be the friend that I would want to go to, maybe one of the friends in this group to talk through something, is you are allowed to hate LaToya as much as you want, but when your hatred for LaToya then kind of clouds your judgment into where the morality lies here, that's when it becomes a little bit concerning to me. And the fact that I don't know how much she spoke about this with Ralph and with some of the other people in her life outside of the group, but they must know something that we don't know because it seems like everyone in her circle was equally as upset. And so unless they're just going with her or unless they have the same flawed thinking where they're blaming the woman, nobody tried to stop her. Yeah, you're right. It does make me sad because I think all season we started out obviously normally hesitant. She's a new housewife. We're trying to feel her out. Through the season, I felt like she really earned our trust. Like I, I was on her page. I was seeing things the way she was seeing things. I was like, okay, I really get you drew. And everything you're saying makes sense. I don't think her relationship with Ralph was necessarily like the way we would think, but just the way she was with the women and kind of her logic in the arguments. I always was like, yeah, you're right. So then for this to be thrown in where it's just so off from what I would even expect from her, it just like it's almost like a sad way to end it because I feel like if the last two episodes hadn't happened, my view of her would be so much higher. But my it's a little bit warped now. 
I know, and I hate when this happens. Same. I can't. I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but I know this happens with a lot of other franchises as well. When it's a new, and honestly, not even a first season person, even if it's something else where they had such a good season and then something goes down, and as a viewer, you do feel frustrated on their behalf and also for your own sake because you're like, "Fuck, I just want to have an uncomplicated relationship with a housewife," but so many times that proves harder than not. Yeah, it's true. Her her first season almost reminds me of like a reverse Dorit where in the beginning Dorit was really like harping on these things that nobody cared about like Erica's underwear thing and then we slowly started to like her and trust her more. She just became more likable whereas Drew is like she became so likable and now she's fucking it up in the 11th hour which is right. worse. Especially right before a reunion. Yeah. I hope she redeems herself and I, I have hope that she will, but I think she needs to perform, perform. She needs to like be back to her old self at the reunion for me to feel like, okay, this is the Drew I fell in love with. She needs to just come out and say, you know what? There were things going on behind the scenes with the prophet, but I recognize that I didn't explain it well and it came across like I was blaming Latoya and that was not my intention. And she needs to remove that from her storyline. The more she can separate herself from that, I think the better off she'll be received. Yeah, same. Last thing about this episode is just like Toya's timing, which clearly was done by, I guess, a combination of Kenya and production to come in at that exact moment. Like there's one thing Latoya is going to do and that is really – not only stir the pot, but really piss off Drew. And she is expert level. Like if there was a tier of how to push somebody's buttons, somehow she's taken a masterclass and Drew is so upset at just the sight of her, which honestly, wouldn't you be if somebody was instigating with you that much? Yeah. Latoya does have an absolute gift of button pushing. It's not easy, but she does. It's not something everybody has. No, because she can push people's buttons of people she doesn't even know that well. Usually you have to know people so well to know exactly what's going to make them tick. And she just can do it on like speedy. Yeah, you're right. She, We should tell her that. She's gifted. Listen, you know what? I'm sure it has gotten her pretty far in life with that skill. Of course, especially like you can prove your point about somebody if your goal is to get a rise out of somebody and you know exactly how to do it. Like, oh my God, people hire people for that. Yeah, it's true. Well, this is a finale. I would still say underwhelming finale, even given the last 10 or so minutes, but I have a feeling they'll bring it for the reunion. Me too. It already looks amazing. Okay, summer house we go. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends, so I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. And the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. 
Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. I know all good things come to an end. I get it. We were just talking last week about how Bravo was so cyclical, but I really will miss Summer House. This episode felt like the last night of Sleepaway Camp, and it really made me like nostalgic of just when Paige was saying I wouldn't want to be stuck in a house for six weeks with anyone else, and at the end of the day, they really are a family as much as they like want to kill each other sometimes. I was like, I was really sad. Honestly, one of the best experiences about this entire thing has been you getting on the summer house train. And again, I equate it to me getting on the Potomac train. So like, it makes me so happy that you were kind of sad that it was ending also. Yeah. Because I've always like watched, but I never watched, like I never was in it. And now I'm like emotionally connected to it. And this was such a, such a sweet ending to the season. You watched, but you didn't really care, which is so normal. We all have those with certain shows. Yes. Yeah, so let's get into some of the things because relatively undramatic in the scheme of things, but we start off with kind of just the residual of the fight between Hannah and Amanda. And I really feel for Paige in this moment. I know we spoke to her last week kind of about her role. And this was the first time when I didn't feel that it was as seamless for her. I felt like, I mean, clearly Hannah was upset at her. She said that to Sierra, but I know Paige shouldn't be the focus of this, but I just do want to mention, I felt she was in a really hard spot. Same. And I think she's been in a really hard spot all summer, but it kind of came to a head. Like you, you can't always be Switzerland without there being consequences. It's just the reality. Yeah. And she, unfortunately in this situation, I think is so scarred from last season with the Luke stuff that like, it's not as if Amanda is fighting with Hannah over the type of issue where Paige has never had an issue with Hannah as well. Of course, they've never had an issue about Des. This has nothing to do with Des. It's just like Paige knows what happened last summer. And so it's sensitive for her as well. Yeah. You could even see in this very beginning scene when they're talking about Des, Paige is like, I'm not getting involved with the boyfriend again. Like been there, done that. I know better. It almost reminds me, show to show comparison of Melissa, the way she deals with Teresa. Like I've been down this road and I need to just completely say nothing because it will just end up biting me in the ass later on. Yeah. And like I said last week, I mean, Hannah was clearly heated over this whole thing, but in my personal opinion, I don't think that like frustration towards Paige was fair, but they figured it out. Yeah. They figured it out later, which was good. And honestly went back to our theory of like, they know at the end of the day they'll make up. So nothing can be taken that seriously. That's the thing about these shows. You need that pair of friends. Honestly, I'm going to equate it on Atlanta. I don't know if this is a totally fair comparison because she's not a full-time cast member, but kind of like Portia and Shamia where not that we've seen them have any issues, but you need one pair where you don't have to worry about the reconciliation. Like there's already so many flying parts. You need to know that they're going to be able to just quickly talk it over and that's not going to be the main source of the drama. And like, that's kind of what happened here. Like, yeah, but then my trust has been so broken by like a Kyle, Lisa Vanderpump or a, who else? A, a Bethany Jill that I'm so cautious now of like not that there is a point where things can go south, but you ne- you can never say never. I'm going to make a really weird one. I don't know if this is accurate. Can I just try? Sure. Sonia and Ramona get into it 
all the time, but don't you always feel that they're going to end up fine? Yes. Yes. Honestly, they've been really dark places and they still happen to bounce back. So that is a good example. (laughs) I didn't know how you were going to take that one. No, that was a good example. We'll get into Jenga night in a second because I obviously want to talk about Lindsay and Stravi, but quickly just touching on Paige and Perry, and I know we spoke to her about it last week, her frustration and honestly, the way that she is so apathetic to the entire relationship is so glaring. And like, I felt her annoyance through the phone and she's repeatedly having to kind of like reassure him and affirm him and honestly kind of just like entertain him. And she's so not here for it. And I don't know, it just sucks. Like it's just a shitty situation to be in. I know she said on the podcast that she felt like she wishes she could have ended it beforehand, but she didn't. And this was the reality and that's fine. You can't fault yourself, but watching it, you're so vicariously frustrated for her. Yeah. Even though we didn't know him, this was like, okay, I feel like you are done with him. You can break up with him. We give you permission. There's no hope. And like, we all felt her frustration because we have no attachment to him. So it was like, this is a good way to put a bow on it. Like the boyfriend who lives in the phone. Yes. And I am a big believer in like absence makes the heart grow fonder. It can make the heart grow fonder. And like, I very much believe in time apart. Like I think a six week separation can actually breed a lot of independence, but it's normal after six weeks to miss your partner a little. And she was not missing him in the slightest. And that's the most telling thing for her. I mean, wouldn't you think that that would be like a huge red flag? I just, I wish almost that I could see this scene not having spoken to her and also not with the knowledge we have of that they were broken up. Like we watched the whole season knowing that they broke up, but I just would be curious, like what would we think and would we see this coming or what would be like, okay, duh. No, I still think that we would absolutely see it coming unless we thought that they were just going through a rough patch. Like, I just don't think there's a world in which you can watch this and think that this is going to be a successful relationship. Yeah, me either. Okay. Jenga night. Oh, God, Jenga night. (laughs) We'll talk about Lindsay and Stephen, but I think we should start out on a happy note and saying, if there's one thing Lindsay knows how to do, it's have fun. She is a fun fucking girl. Oh, she, like, is the life of the party. Also, like, I say this as a purely a woman appreciating another woman, not sexualizing her. She has some of the most beautiful breasts I have ever seen. Yeah. I get why she wants to flash everyone all night long. Right? Like, wouldn't you just never wear a shirt? No. (laughs) It's just so funny. Like who wrote, who wrote the show, Yariola? Like, was that Carl? Yeah. Like who (laughs) put that in there? (laughs) I mean, this whole thing between her and Steven is just hard to watch because on one hand, She's doing exactly what Danielle says. She's testing him. She's driving him to the point of pure insanity. And you get why he would want to leave, yet his mechanism of dealing with it is her number one trigger. So it is literally like oil and water, and you're never going to have a successful relationship. One, when the person feels tested in general, like that's not a good way to feel. But second of all, when your coping mechanism is the very thing that enlights panic and fear and anxiousness and anger in the other person, what do you think is going to happen? Lindsay Hubbard is what you see when you look up self-sabotager in the dictionary. Yeah. I mean, every single day and night, she's just like shooting herself in the foot. It's so hard to watch almost like when she freaks out at Stravi when he isn't coming downstairs while she's texting him. Like he's obviously not on his phone. I'm like, Lindsay, 
come on. But you're, it is a test. And I love Danielle. And I think Danielle is the kind of friend that we all need to not lie to you and just say what you want to hear, but to be like, no, you really are the problem. This is what you're doing. You have to recognize that you're testing him. And this is why things keep going wrong. Oh, Danielle's the best friend that Lindsay could ever have. Danielle is such an underrated, like, person in Lindsay's life. And what I mean by that is, you know, they say sometimes, like, the old quote, which of course is very antiquated, but like, behind every great man, there's a great woman. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like behind Lindsay's sanity, there is Danielle. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. You need that level headedness coupled with that honesty. And think about how few people in Lindsay's life can be totally honest with her and say exactly the root of some of her issues without her getting defensive. Like, she doesn't get that defensive with Danielle because she knows how deep of a place of compassion it's coming from. Right. And she's asking for it. Oh, she's directly asking for it. The advice isn't unsolicited. Right. But let me go a step farther with that. Danielle is the type of friend that will carry Steven's suitcase into her own room so that he can't leave because she knows that that's not what needs to go down in the moment. I mean, that's like dedication. Danielle and Robert were the MVPs of this episode. Nothing could have happened without them. I actually wanted to start this episode and I forgot by saying I stan Robert. We stan. When they all gave him a round of applause and when they announced that they're officially boyfriend and girlfriend, everyone was like freaking out. I was I was smiling so big. Well, when Paige said, and I guess this is public, I just didn't know, but when she said last week that they moved in together, I felt like having that knowledge watching this episode, you could revel in it a little bit more because you didn't feel like you had to manage your happiness because you knew the outcome. Yeah. It's so right? true. Yeah. I just want to say one last thing on the Lindsay and Steven thing. Like the reason that you can't just chalk this up to a drunken fight, like everybody has nights when they act a little bit irrationally with their significant other and you do, you could get mad at them for this texting stuff. Like we can all recognize in the scheme of things that that was not a real issue, but it's worth talking about because it's so much deeper than that. Like this was just one instance of the way that she is managing the abandonment issues, which are very, very real. And I feel so deeply for her, but He's just not the guy for this. Yeah, she's got to work through these issues. And I think based on what they've already been through, which you can't take back, it's it clearly was too far gone. This was one of those episodes where just looking at them, you knew. Yeah, you just knew. This was it. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. The Hannah and Amanda sit down. How'd you feel about that? I mean, it needed to happen. 
So I'm glad it did. They needed to break the tension, especially because we knew they were having this whole beautiful night together and like they couldn't go into it with all of this animosity. I don't think anything new was accomplished. It kind of just set like, okay, I love you. I hate your fiance. And like, that's the root of all of our issues. I don't know if they really made any progress. Didn't you feel that way? Yeah. I, I felt like Honestly, the reason that it was successful wasn't because they made progress, but just because it was kind of like such a clear indication that maybe these are just two people that don't need to be friends. Like, yeah, I know there are specific issues. I know the Kyle of it all. But when I actually think about it, like I see Paige and Hannah being friends. I see Paige and Amanda being friends. I don't really see Amanda and Hannah being friends. Their personalities to me are so opposite in a way where like they just don't mesh. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, the conversation just felt more of a handshake of like, let's agree to disagree forever. It's not going to happen between us. And I think if it wasn't for Paige having a close relationship with Amanda, Hannah would just write her off completely. She would want nothing to do with her, but she wants to stay in good terms, not for Paige's sake, but just to make sure that the door, the opportunity is still there in case she ever wanted to be included in things or maybe come back as a friend with her. Well, and also because they're living in a house together. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I I don't remember which episode it was, but I think Kyle and Amanda basically alluded to that recently. Like, they have no relationship now. I know. Which is, again, it's just unsurprising. Like, because, you know, when Hannah said to her, we only have issues when it's about Kyle, like, that kind of is true, but also... Amanda and Kyle, in a way, are a package deal. Not because your fiance has to be friends with all of your friends. That's not it. But your very close friend can't have like a character issue with your fiance because that's just not going to work. And that's not like the fiance being controlling. That's just a logistics thing. I feel like it's one thing if you have a best friend or a good friend who you just don't like love their partner. They don't just not like like each other or want to hang out alone or have their own relationship. This is like they fight. Like they scream at each other and like hate each other. So there's just no way that that's ever going to go down. And it's just going to be a cycle of Kyle and Hannah fighting. Amanda obviously has to be on her fiance's side. Like that's just the way it goes. And we know Amanda does it in a really great way where she does – she does tell Kyle the truth and she doesn't let him off easy just because he's her fiance. But it just like, how could that ever work? It's never going to work. That's the issue. And I am glad that they kind of, like you said, agreed to disagree because it was exhausting. Yeah, it was exhausting. And it just, that's what needed to happen because they were never going to go back to where they used to be of being really good friends. And they also couldn't for the sake of the group, for the sake of the rest of the summer, say, okay, like, fuck you. Let's just be done forever. Also, Amanda didn't bring this up. Like, I don't know if this is something that she consciously or subconsciously feels. I'm like totally just trying to put myself in her shoes. But if my friend didn't just have an issue with my fiance, like I genuinely think that Hannah feels that Kyle's character is flawed. Like, I don't think she views him necessarily to be the best person, right? It's not like they just don't get along. They have a fundamental issue with each other. I, on some level, would view that as them questioning my character that I'm choosing to spend my life with that person. So, like, mm-hmm. Hannah can feel however she wants about Kyle. That's her right. But if I'm Amanda, 
I guess it would make me feel a little bit like I'm floating in water with my relationship with this person that thinks that my fiance is the scum of the earth. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what would make them then want to have you at their wedding, their celebrations when they have children, it's both of them. Like it just complicates things way, way, way too much. Holy shit. Bravo just released the preview for winter house. Oh my God. Go to Bravo TV's Instagram. Guys, we'll put it in the um, description. What I'm seeing right now is, what is this called? Tug of war with Sierra, Craig, Kyle, Amanda, Austin. Luke. Oh. oh my God. We this and some people that we don't know. Lindsay. I it's going so fast. I wish they tagged everyone. Wait, on Bravo is being absolutely savage with these like little tiny mini trailers that they're giving us. Like this is the kind of thing when we say we want people on the ground in the moment, like this is what we mean. Yeah. Because we're not getting this show for so long, but like wow. Wait. How, wait, hold on. How fucking excited are you for this show? No, I can't believe we're getting this. How happy are you? We're going to have a winter and a summer house. That's what I'm saying. It feels like it's really filling the void for me. Right. It's going to get us on that housewives pattern. God damn it. I love a cyclical network. I know. that. Well, you've come to the right place. Because <laughs> Bravo paying you. I, I wish. <laughs> okay. Um, moving on to Amanda and Kyle's fake wedding. Again, yes, I want to give the MVP of the episode award to Danielle and Robert, but you have to at least give an honorable mention to Carl because of the way that he had so much pride in this. Yeah, he was he was a best man. Like he earned that so much in this episode, just how much he loves both of them and officiating the wedding, everything he said, it was the cutest thing ever. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else was crying, but when Amanda asked Paige and when Kyle asked Carl, I was hysterical. Oh my God. Honestly, more Kyle and Carl because I just feel like Carl's been through so much and he lost his brother. And then for Kyle to be saying like, you're like my family and I love you. I was just not okay. It's also such a brotherly bond. Right. Nothing can mimic that relationship, but like it does make you feel seen. Yeah. It was so, so, so cute. Also, Robert does a spread. Like- No, no, no. Like a- fucking michelin star they were like where are we we have been making nachos for six weeks yeah i know it was really beautiful and just the way that he was so happy to do it and also like danielle's pride was beaming and i felt like especially for her take away anything else take away the fact how much i like her how smart i think she is like all of that this entire summer it was very work dominated for her, which I know some people found to be annoying. I didn't. I didn't feel like she was making it about her work constantly, but like she was very stressed out by that. You could see. So for her to have this week where she was kind of letting loose a little bit more, I loved it. She was having the best week of her life. I really think she would say this was like one of the most fun weeks of her life. And well, okay, we'll get into that in a second. Let me just go to the dinner. What do you, what are your what was your highlight of the dinner? I don't overall it was just so like a nice moment. The only thing that was really annoying and I said this to you was when when Paige says in her speech to Amanda like, you know, I I'm so excited to be your real bridesmaid. Hannah then saying like I I don't even care. I don't even want to go to the wedding. Like, oh, Paige chose not to stand up to Kyle, so this is her reward. That whole thing was like, it really rubbed me the wrong way, especially when I was in such a happy mood for Amanda and Kyle. Like, I did not want to hear that. Right. I mean, 
she didn't say it like at the thing, but the way they put in the confessional yeah. made it seem like her mood was so different than the rest of the groups. I definitely feel that. I just like I think the thing for me also is I don't think it's Paige choosing to not stand up to Kyle. I just don't think Paige has the same issues with him that Hannah does. Like they're completely different issues. Oh yeah, that's completely inaccurate. Also, Hannah was almost alluding to like Paige has more things to say about Kyle, but she's not saying them. Trying to almost throw Paige under the bus and being like, you're talking shit behind his back, which regardless if that's true or not, because I think they all talk shit of each other, it doesn't matter. Like you're right. They're, they don't have the same issues. No, but the thing is, and I honestly, like, I would literally want to talk to Paige and Hannah about this. Like if uh, on Giggly Squad, this would be my question. Like it's one thing if Paige maybe has things about Kyle that she would say if they were gossiping, like fine. But to have deeply rooted issues with a person is not what she has clearly, right? Like, okay, here's how I felt. And I'm not Paige. And I know that her and Hannah have a really good, solid friendship and they forgive each other easily. If I was Paige and I watched... Hannah say that in her confessional, I think I would feel a little bit hurt because it would make me out to be like I have no backbone. Yes. And what I was thinking was Paige has nothing to stand up about. They have she's no fight with Kyle. They get along really nicely. Like everything that Hannah and Kyle have is very much singularly between Hannah and Kyle. Like there's no Paige inserted into it. Maybe they have their own issues, but it's nothing like enough. And by the way, Paige is allowed to like agree or disagree on certain issues with Hannah or with Kyle, like depending on what's going on. I think she does a good job also like Amanda of choosing her side based on the situation, not based on who it's about. She's allowed to have opinions on that. That doesn't mean that she hates Kyle or shouldn't be in the wedding. Right. I I don't know. I just felt like we were missing something there. Yeah. I don't know if this is accurate to say, but like it just came across as very bitter. Yes, very. That's the perfect word. Yeah. I don't know. I also just like if I'm being honest, I think if I was in a room with Kyle and Amanda, like is Kyle necessarily the type of person I would get along the best with? Like maybe not. He's a little bit whatever. But Amanda, I just – I don't know. I said this to you. I think she's the most emotionally intelligent in the house. I think she's a total sweetheart and I do think she's a really good friend. Yep. Agreed. One final thing before the pool jump is just when Danielle and Robert officially confirmed the boyfriend-girlfriend thing, I was just over the moon happy. Cutest thing ever. He really did a good job at coming to this house and making himself at home in a way that didn't feel like he was overstepping. Yeah, he's like the model boyfriend coming in. I couldn't help but think how happy that must have made Danielle. Like, there is no better feeling for you getting him about your significant other. When you bring a friend and your friend gets along so well, like – I'll tell you guys a little bit of an anecdote. Last weekend, Isabel, Julie, and my two best family friends hung out all together without me at my apartment in the city. And I have never felt as much happiness as I did in that moment, just like knowing that everybody who I love so much and think so highly of also thinks so highly of each other to the point where they want to hang out without me, who's like the link. Obviously, I could have come. I just like literally couldn't make it. So this is a totally different thing because they're meeting him for the first time and he's getting along so well. Like that's, I honestly was thinking about you guys with Jake and Carly because it was like, that's my dream. You know, like this must be Danielle's fucking dream. Yeah. That's like the best feeling of all time. The final jump in the pool naked. Amazing. 
did you see I posted the picture of all of their butts? And and Danielle was like, is this our announcement that we're going on OnlyFans? Wait, they looked amazing. I know. Paige out of left field. <laughs> Paige really nailed it with like the open live. Like she she knows how to model for Instagram. She knows her angles. That's the trick though to a good ass shot. You gotta lean forward. <laughs> I think wait, was it Ciara that commented like, Kyle, I didn't realize how low your butt crack was. And then I looked, I was like, you know what? That's a good observation. Yeah, and she was like, it's my nurse eyes. That's what she wrote. But also somebody commented, but where is Hannah? Is it all just shade from hubs? And Lindsay wrote back, no shade. She just wasn't in the shot. Neither was Luke. Sierra was in the pool. Yeah. Well, that was, I guess, nice of Lindsay to respond. She didn't have to. Yeah, because I think it's like such a happy moment. They don't need it brought down. No. Yeah, I was just really happy. And I love that. There's nothing better than getting drunk and like with your friends in the summer and jumping in a pool naked. That is height of summer. Yeah, it was so cute. Anything else you would like to mention? That is it. Thank you all for listening. Please vote for us in the Webbies. We'll put the links in the bio and have a great weekend. I think that's everything, right? (laughs) Did you have that written down? No, it just like came to me. I just felt like Katie Couric. I don't know why. At the very end of the Kardashian episode, I remembered to say the Webby thing. I like this is so weird because I feel like I'm the least competitive person I have ever met. I want to win this so badly, Isabel. Same. I just, yeah, same. <laughs> like, you know when people are nominated for an Oscar and they're like, it's just such an honor to be in the category. Clearly do not oh, get it. Oh, fuck that. No, I'm just saying. But like on a certain level, it is fucking ridiculous. There's five people and Stephen Colbert, The Daily Show, like how, who put us there? Like I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is this a mistake? That's how I felt. <laughs> I know. So like we might as well try to win it. Yeah. So please, please, please vote in both categories. We love you guys. Thank you as always. And I think next week will be a far more exciting week. But you know what? A little bit anticlimactic and it ebbs and flows. Doesn't matter. We're all in this together and we have a good time no matter what, right? That's the mantra, kids. Thank you so much. Okay, bye, guys. We love you. Bye.